I want you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 56. Psalm 56, just start right there. And uh, I'm closing the series out today called What to Do When It Does. Everything's going great. Life's going perfect. You just couldn't get any better for you. And then the bottom falls out. That's what people say, life happens. Well, what do you do when it does? What do you do when it does? And we're taking the life of David in that span from 1 Samuel 19 all the way to 2 Samuel 1 where he was at the top of his game. Everything's going great. He is the most popular guy, a war hero, everything, composer, you name it, he's got it. In the king's court, marrying the king's daughter, and then King Saul wants to kill him and he's running for his life. And it starts out he thinks he's gonna die, but how many know just about the time you think it's death, how many know there really is a destiny? There really isn't. What to do when it does. So I want to look at first Sam, that Psalm 56. Now when, I'm, when he writes this Psalm 56, remember he's running for his life. And just remember what just happened, what just pre preceded this. you got to remember that Saul has chased him down. And then as off the heels of that, he's, he comes into the territory of Gath, King Achish, and the Philistines, and they're all his enemies. He got enemy on this side, enemy on this side. Saul's trash talking him, saying, really, David's out to kill me and take my throne. We gotta kill him first. I mean, it's just going on and on and on. And here's what this guy says when enemies are on both sides of him, because really this is the whole truth about what God has. When all this junk is happening around you, you need to remember something. So let's look what he says. I love his honesty. In his prayer and his talk, he said, Oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. Hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I'm constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, but when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. There is a promise that awaits the Jesus follower, a promise. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? What can they do to me? What can this world really do to you? I'm telling you, this is our hell for the Jesus follower. Whatever your experience, the lowest point of your life, that's as bad as it gets. Keeps going. We have a destiny, amen? How many know it's eternal too? That's what I love about it. So what we have learned from David in this time is that life may be out of control, but you don't have to be out of control. We don't have to wig out. We don't have to freak. We don't have to fabricate. We can trust God in this. And David, in this time period, he did some things wrong. And if you haven't heard the series, go listen to it because he did some things wrong that got him in trouble and a lot of the people in some very, very bad situations that brought death to their life. But he also did a lot of right things. So I want to end this series on three right things he did. And if you're going through it and the bottom's falling out, I want you just to track with him on these three things, okay? So I'm just going to go, just kind of go through some of these times. Here's the first thing that he did, and I'm going to try to get through these so you can get blessed and enjoy a little sunshine today. 
because it ain't going to last much longer. Amen. <laughs> Here we go. Ready? Number one, if you see anything about David in this time period and his life, there's one thing that I can point to. He served without recognition. Didn't need a plaque, didn't need a tax deduction receipt, didn't, need to, need, didn't be men mentioned in front of everybody. He just served without recognition. Now let me give you the background of this just for a moment. Let me show you what, what he did. In 1 Samuel 23, you can go back and check at verses 1 through 14, David's hiding from Saul, and he comes to this place called Keilah. And these folks in Keilah were kind of a weak people, and the Philistines who were chasing him were now robbing these people of their grape harvest. I mean, you worked all day long. Just think that was your income, and here, all year long you've worked, and these wiping, they're wiping the harvest out. And so David has pity on these people in Keilah, because they're being robbed by his enemies, and they're the enemies of these folks, the Philistines. So David does something smart. This is really good. Before you plan an attack, pray about it. Just pray about it. Before you go to the counseling session, how much have you prayed? I'd like to ask my sweet folks that sometimes. When I go to a counseling session or I need counsel from somebody, I wonder how much time did I spend with people and how much time did I spend in his presence? And I ought to be more in his presence than more with his people. I need his people, but did you go to God first? Okay, I don't know where that came from. Let's blame the Holy Spirit. Amen. So David inquires, should I attack these enemies that are destroying these weak people that can't defend themselves? And the Lord tells him, I want you to go attack those Philistines and stop them, stop them from destroying these people. And so David defends the people of Keilah. He, just, he routes the enemy and sends them fleeing. Well, during that same time, right after the heels of that, David discovers that he's vulnerable because now he's in the city of Keilah. And Keilah, if you could, is like a walled city, okay? It's a walled city. And he realizes, I'm vulnerable. I can't escape out of here. This is a walled city. So what does he do? Always good to pray. Have you noticed how much he prays during this time? Praise a lot. Some of you, you never knew God till he sent you trouble. That's why David says, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I follow your word, Lord. Sometimes God, see, some people in church don't need another spiritual gift. They just need a good dose of trouble. Really, some of you need, maybe that's the reason why some of the trouble is finally God's trying to get you to know him and how much he really cares about you. So anyway, David prays, but he choirs. And so he asks God, verse 11, go read it. First Samuel 20, he says, he goes, God, is Saul gonna come after me here in Keilah? You know, I, I just deliver these people. They, they really like me here. Will, will he come? Lord says, he's coming after you in Keilah. God gives him a revelation. He says, well, I got a second question. Will these wonderful people that I just served who were weak, will they defend me or will they protect me from Saul? God tells him, they're going to rat you out. They, and, and, and David's going, what do you mean? it? What, what do you mean? What about these people? I've just helped them, Lord. And look what he says. 1 Samuel 23, 12. David goes, it says, again, David asks, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? And the Lord said, they will. So he's asking God twice. He said, surely, not someone who you paid for their light bill and they didn't have any money. Surely they wouldn't rat you out and talk about you, would they? Hmm. Surely, surely that neighbor that, 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 that I mowed their lawn while they're sick, surely they're not, they're not, they're, they're not going to get angry at me now. Surely not. Surely, wait a minute, they're not going to do this. 
If anybody should not have turned their back on David at this time, it should have the people that he just spared their entire income for that year and defended them because they were weak. I mean, you think, he's thinking, maybe, oh Lord, maybe a thank you card would be nice. Handwritten, not text. Maybe they could do something. You know, I just spared them. They're going to be able to get their house improved, you know, and stuff. Surely they got cash now. Surely maybe, maybe they'll give me a key to the city. Huh? Maybe I'll get to be the marshal in the parade, the Keilah parade. Surely they'd show me. It's not what happened. They ratted him out. Why would he do this? Why would he serve these people? Listen closely. You serve the weak because it's God's nature. Not because they can pay you something back, but because it's God's nature. It's God's nature. Do you know when we do servant, when we did servant evangelism, start servant evangelism, us GR1 serve. When we did that, I remember when Brendan and I first came here and we wanted to do stuff for schools. And I'll never forget some of the conversations that made it to, my, to, to me. Nobody ever really told it to me, but the cul-de-sac to the information highway is Pastor Sam's office. <laughs> Let that sink in just for a minute. And someone says, well, we pay our taxes. Do those kids really need it? It was back during the recession. They only had two ladies doing the lawn service for how many? 13, 11 schools. Everything was grown over. They couldn't get paint on there. Money, a family was leaving like every seven minutes during the recession out of the state of Michigan. They had no money. People said, we pay our taxes. Well, let me say, I, I don't, we don't do things because they're going to pay us back. We don't even do it because they're gonna, we, we want them to get saved. We do it because Jesus says, serve the weak, period. Amen. Serve the weak. And I love this about King David. Look at this. Even later, here's Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke, under the power of the Holy Spirit, talks about David. And look what he says in Acts 13, 36. He says, for David, after he had what? Can everybody say that word real loud? After he had what? Served his own generation, but not just his own generation, but look, by the will of God. Not to be recognized, but by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. Now when the Holy Spirit moves on Dr. Luke to record all these things and to talk about him, notice that the Holy Spirit does not give Dr. Luke and say, describe David this way. Why don't you describe him? David, the one that killed Goliath, and spared the nation. What a David, the guy who wrote, what, 70 some plus Psalms under the Holy Spirit. Not David, the military strategist. David, the good looking guy. You really want that in your press release. Why wouldn't he said that? But of all the things, he didn't use Goliath or any conquer, not even his offering, the biggest offering given. What does he say? You want to know him for something? You need to know him because he served God and did God's will. And he didn't, even when people walked away from the very people that he blessed. Yeah, I knew that wouldn't draw much of an amen. That's tough. It's tough when you flip on some people's light bills and you bless them, you help them out, only for them to go somewhere else and talk about you. That's a tough thing. That's a tough thing as a pastor. But you don't do it for something back. David said, I did this because I asked God, and God says, I want you to do this, even if they're going to rat you out. I want you to do this. God didn't tell him that ahead of time. God let him just do it, because we probably wouldn't have done it if he, God told him. They're going to rat you out, so go ahead and help them anyway. 
I'm just saying. But David served because it was God's will. It was God's directive. And guess what? Pastor Sam, Pastor Brenda, and all of us have to do the same. And that's why Paul talks about Jesus in this way. Come on, Matt, uh, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. You know this one. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset. Because see, this is a mindset that a lot of people don't have. You have to have the mindset of Jesus Christ. Who being very, the, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself. Sometimes you got to make yourself do these things. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Some translation says the nature of a slave. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Are you here in this church family? We're the same ones that he bails out. We turn our backs on him. We're not faithful to him, but yet he still loves us. He still died for us, still rose from the dead. And Jesus saying that same manner, do it because it is the nature of God himself. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you blessed a family member. Listen, I had to bail them out. I got them a car. And now that family member has totally turned their back on you. Maybe it was a co-worker at work that you helped and gave a promotion. And now they're bad mouthing you on the job to the same supervisor you talked to to get them a blessing. Maybe you shared something in confidence with another Jesus follower in this church and all of a sudden you thought you blessed them and you shared something and now they ratted you out. Here's the bottom line I have discovered. You can get real better or you can get better. You can obey God or you can walk away angry at the folks. But what you got to do is have the heart to serve people by the will of God. Because here is what I've discovered. You do not reap where you sow. You reap because you sow. And it may never come from them, but I know the law of the harvest, and I know the nature of my God, and I know who he is, that when Sam Reifkogel or you or I do this in the name of Jesus Christ, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ, the harvest is coming back. David knew there was going to come a reward. David knew the promise was coming, and you've got to know it's coming as well. Oh, come on. Serve without recognition. If the bottom's falling out, what are we going to do? Say it with me, church. Serve without recognition. Watch this. Here's the second thing that he did. He seeks God's redemption. He seeks God's redemption. Now, sometimes we want to make even the score because we want to make sure everybody's opinion of us is good. Now, I want to show you David, first of all, knows he's got to lean into God's opinion and not the opinion of everybody else. So first he gets God's opinion of himself, and you need to get God's opinion of you. Okay, David did not allow the words or the actions of other people define who he was. Don't you allow the culture to do that to you or let other people do that to you. He wanted God's opinion of him because he had a lot of people that didn't have good opinions of him. Huh? Goliath didn't have a good opinion of him. Am I a dog? You little pipsqueak that you come out with a stick? Starts mocking him. His wife, Michael, you remember Michael? You remember when the Ark of the Covenant come back and he's dancing as the king? He's so rejoicing. Oh, didn't the king look great out there? Look at him as he comes out and he, he's sitting there and takes his robe off and dance before all those people out there. Isn't that something? His wife didn't think much. She mocked him for the way he worshiped. There may be somebody in here, you mocking somebody else in the way for worshiping. You better be careful of mocking somebody and their worship. 
Michael did, didn't work out well for her. His own kid didn't like him for crying out loud. You know, you always dream of handing your company to your kids, your business to your kids. I hope my kid does what I do. No, 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 his son wanted to take it, kick him out, and have him killed. His own boy, for crying out loud. So how many know his own family didn't have a good opinion of him? But David would not allow the opinion of others to skew what God's opinion was of him. So go to 1 Samuel. You go to 1 Samuel 23, 14. We have another encounter. I mean, this guy's getting one after another, after another, after another. So he encounters this group of people called the Ziphites. You know, that'll set you off right there. I don't, just sounds bad. And they purposely betray him. Not just the people from Keilah, the Ziphites. Look what 1 Samuel 23, 19 says. But now the men of Ziph went to Saul in Gibeah, and betrayed David to him. We know where David is hiding. They said, he's in the strongholds of Horish on the hills of Hakilah, which is in the southern part of Jeshimon. And said, come down whenever you are ready, O king, and we will catch him and hand him over to you. Now that's their opinion of David. He said, we got him here. We're going to hold him. You can have him. David did not confuse the Ziphites' opinion of him of God's opinion of him. But I want you to show something very important in here that you need to mark down in verse 17 of that chapter. When people are beating you up, it's not important just to get God's opinion of you. You better have good people around you speaking and encouraging you. Because in verse 17, if you'll look, Jonathan comes to him right in this encounter with the Ziphites. And he looks at David and he says, David, stay strong in your faith in God. My daddy is not going to get you and you will not be killed. And he tells him, you will become the king of Israel, David. In the middle of all that, he surrounded himself with good, godly people who heard from God. The problem is, is a lot of us believe we have the promise and you're in the presence of God, but you are disconnecting from men and women of God that you need to be speaking into your life. How are we doing here? Small groups is not so something that because we need another activity for people to get involved in, unless somebody else's church takes them. The purpose of small groups is because you have to have the voices of godly people telling you, I've been through the fire and I made it. I've been through the flood and I made it. And if God helped me get out of this, he's going to help you get out of this. If I can overcome this addiction, you can overcome addiction. If God can make me survive, you can survive. You need that. You need that. And he had the voice of someone because you need to be hearing God's opinion, not only in the spirit, but from other believers that are around you. And many times we interpret, listen, we interpret God, God's view of us through the eyes of our circumstances or the opinions of others. Let me tell you, you and I do it. When everything's going well, income's going good, kids are happy, spouse loves me, God is good. He's smiling on me. I'm doing some good things. Happy home, got money, job is working well, health is good. Man, you're choking down kale every day. You're just doing great. We go. Gonna finish that podcast and proving myself. God's smiling on me. Here's the problem. 
that all of a sudden God is good in those moments. What happens when the bottom falls out? What happens when the doctor's prognosis is terminal? What if your spouse looks at you and says, I'm done? What about then? Then we start interpreting our trouble that God is against me. Did I do something wrong? Is God mad at me? Did I miss something? See, so if you don't get God's opinion of you and surround yourself with people who encourage you in the opinion of God, you will start believing opinions of other people and that your circumstances will tell you that's who God is. So God's only good when everything's going great, but he's not good when you get the diagnosis. I say God is good all the time, church family, on the mountain, in the valley, whether you got money in the bank or I got a bum a dollar off you. God is good. So David says, as long as I got God's opinion, I know God will redeem me. He has promised something. He said, God, they're doing all this. Remember the text? You promised something to me. He's looking that God will redeem. Seek God's redemption. Seek God's redemption. And look what he says. In this same thing with the Ziphites, watch this. He's pinning, again, watch this. Oh, I just love this. I love this. I'll bring back around here in just a minute. But he's looking for God's redemption. So he's praying a prayer in Psalm 54. He's dealing with these Ziphites, and look what he says. Save me, oh God, by your name. You're going to redeem me. Vindicate me by your might, because I don't have it. Hear my prayer, O God. Listen to the words of my mouth. Strangers are attacking me. Ruthless men seek my life. Men without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Let evil recall on those who slander me. In your faithfulness, destroy them. I mean, he's getting a little hot here. And he's praying. But all of a sudden, watch what happens when you start bringing and you're leaning on God's redemption. That God, I know you've got a plan even when everything's going bad. Look what happens. The prayer of deliverance starts turning into a praise of deliverance. Look what happens. The next verse, something changes. That, isn't that crazy how that happens? You could be bringing all this stuff to God and then something changes in the presence of the Lord. Watch this. I will sacrifice a free will offering to you, Lord. I'm still going to be a giver. I'm still going to be a giver. It hadn't changed nothing. I will, he says, I will sacrifice a free will offering to you. I will praise you, your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from all my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Come on, church family. How many of you, God is going to redeem his people every single time? He will redeem them. Amen. Here's my last one, okay? Got that one? Seek God's redemption. Here's the last one. Suspend your revenge. Suspend your revenge. Yeah, but this, the, this, this has happened again. Suspend your revenge. All right, let's go. I want to take you to 1 Samuel 24. This is my last point. So David's hiding out with his men in the cave of Engedi. All right? He's in a cave. And... Uh, when we went to Israel, boy, those caves, I mean, you could, it was wild. And they, you go deep into these caves. So now David is in this cave, running for his life, and he's in the deep recesses of the cave. Saul's chasing him down. So Saul, you know, he starts boiling. <laughs> and he's got to go to the bathroom. 
says, that looks like a nice cave. He goes in to relieve himself, the Bible says. I mean, the, have you, when people don't believe the Bible, it's amazing the details that the Bible leaves in there. I mean, if you're going to write something in the Bible about me, which nothing will be written about me because it's all done, don't tell them about, never mind. Just keep that out of the thing. That just shows you the detail of the Bible when people say, you know, you can't trust, it's the detail of it. So he's hiding in the cave. And so he's going to be there a while. But he doesn't know David and his men are back there. King Saul was in David's hands. And in that moment, we know that David could have killed him right there, or one of his men could have killed him right there on the spot. But instead, David, while Saul's doing his business, just cuts off a corner of the robe, takes a piece of it. David suspends his revenge. Now, I want to show you some things about this. David suspended his revenge when it was the perfect opportunity to end this nonsense. It could have been done. This is how he was always leaning into God. He suspended his revenge. And you got to do the same in the situation you're in. You might have gone through a brutal, a brutal divorce. Somebody might have done something in your company. Your child has done something. And now there's an opportunity to make your point. But you got to be careful to let God do what he wants and not what you want. How did David suspend his revenge? I'm going to give you a couple of things here real quick. Number one, divert your fury. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're like me, and I know that I am, there are sometimes you want to spew. You want to spew, but David somehow, I'm sure he had some times that he spewed, but he diverted his fear. I don't know, he had plenty of reasons to be angry, mad, and out of control, just like everybody else was, even his own men got. There were plenty of times just to let it go and say, I've had it, I'm done. But somehow he found a way to divert his fury. I don't know what it was. I don't know what he did. I don't know if he took a walk. I don't know if he threw rocks. I, I, I don't know if he rode naughty words on a piece of paper. I don't know what he did. He, he might have wrote about his frustration. He obviously wrote about his frustration as he was pinning some of the Psalms. I, I don't know what it was, but he did something. He went on a walk. I don't know what it is. He diverted his fury somewhere. He might have talked to another brother that was in that camp and they will find a place to vent, but you've got to divert your fury somewhere, somehow. What is it for you? I don't know what it is. It may be take up a hobby. It may have a, a close godly confidence that will not cross-reference your information that you're telling them that you could divert your fury. It may be walking them all. It may be learning how to journal and pin these things and make sure they're under lock and key. <laughs> and, and, and do like David primarily over all of it. Take it to God and pray and pray and pray and tell God exactly how you feel. I mean it. If you hate him, you tell God, God, right now I just hate them. I can't believe they did that to me. I can't believe she did that. I can't believe he did that to me. God, I hate him. I'm so angry. I'm mad. You, you say, Pastor, I can't do that. You're like the little old lady that said that to her pastor. She said, Pastor, if I tell God how I feel, then he'll know how I am. <laughs> he knows you're ticked. He knows you feel betrayed. He knows it. He 
wants you to air that and divert your fury. To, that's why 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares. Let it out before God. Find a place to go take a bucket of golf balls and hit them and name who they are and hit them. Do something. Somehow he diverted his fury. I don't know what it is, but there's got to be something. But there's got to cast it on Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. Deny your flesh. David's men said, okay, look at this. Saul's back there. They can kill him right now. He says, get him, get him now, because I know he's going to be here a while. Get him now. And look what the men say to him in 1 Samuel 24 in this event. They say to him, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you. You remember God even said this. I will give your enemies into your hands, for you are dealing with all as you wish. This is it. That's God's prophecy being fulfilled. Do it, David. Do it, David. This is God. This is God. Remember, everything in your life is a test. Everything in my life is a test. And just because it looks good and looks like favor may not be the thing God wants you to do. Because look at Saul. Saul did the same thing in 1 Samuel 23, verse 7. Look what he said. Saul was told that David has gone to Keilah, and he said, Saul, God has handed him over to me. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. Saul misread favorable circumstances that this is God's will. You cannot always make it that the favorable circumstances, this is it, it's not time to happen. You say, well, when did it happen? You let God make it happen. There's some of us living in sin in this room. And the reason why you think it's cool and it's okay is because it still seems favorable to you and there's been no consequence for what you've done yet. Not yet. Not yet. I meet too many believers that think, well, I dodged a bullet. God must be cool with this. And you know in his word he's not cool with it. Do not interpret that favorable outcome as God's will. Just let that one marinate in there. David knew no matter how favorable, how favorable the circumstances, he's saying, here's the bottom line. I want God's plan over my plan because my plan will fail. David trusted God's judgment over his own. And that's the reason why David was able to keep himself from revenge. Let God have his revenge. And you know how he did it? This guy, I cannot believe how he demonstrated forgiveness in all of this. But there's some of you just going through some tough stuff right now. David kept control of his revenge by having a forgiving heart. I mean, when you look at this guy, he literally bore no malice against Saul. He didn't. Can I tell you where, David, can I tell you where King Saul was the safest? King Saul was the safest in David's hands. Saul wasn't even safe in his own guy's hands. He, got, he almost got him killed several, two times. Three times got him, he, he finally did get killed. He was safest in the guy that he hated the most. He was safest in his hands. But David wasn't foolish. When I talk about forgiveness, don't be foolish. David wasn't a fool about his forgiveness, okay? There's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation, everybody, okay? <laughs> you can forgive someone, but have you noticed how David kept boundaries? He... <laughs> He loved Saul, forgave him, but he knew it wasn't time to go have fellowship and a meal together. Because last time I went and started playing music for him, he threw a spear at me. 
So I need to keep a distance with this guy and set a boundary. Can I tell you that's some good information right there? That you can forgive people, but you need to be wise to the Spirit and get good godly counsel on the boundaries you need to set even though you have forgiven. David forgave and kept forgiving, but he knew where to put the boundaries with Saul. Doesn't the Bible teach us some great things? But David controlled his emotion, his anger, and his frustration. How did he control it? He ultimately controlled it by continually doing what the Word says. He forgave Saul. Put boundaries, but forgave Saul. Even to the point where not even Saul admits that he's a better guy than me. Saul even sees it. And here's the deal. When you do what's right in the sight of God and you do His Word, I'm telling you there's going to come a day that there are going to be unbelievers and unbelieving family members and even some Christians that are jerks. They're going to say, you know what? You really are doing the right thing. There'll come a time, because look what happened to Saul. 1 Samuel 24, 16. Saul called back. David holds up. He said, I could have killed you today, but I will not touch God's anointed. I will not touch him. I, I'm not going to do it. Even these men were telling me, kill him. This is God's, this is God's day. But look, Saul, I just cut this piece of your, your robe off, and I spared your life. And look what happens and what Saul says in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 24. Saul called back. Is that really you, my son David? Then he began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. You know, when I got into this Christianity and I decided to follow Jesus Christ, I thought it was just about me being forgiven and getting grace from God. I thought that was it. I just need to get saved. I discovered in my journey with Jesus, there's a whole lot more to it. I discovered what happens is you end up following him so close, you start walking like him. You start living like him. You start learning like him. You start loving like him. And you actually can start forgiving like him. So let me ask you today. I want you to serve without any recognition. Seek God's redemption. He's going to work this out. You don't have to try and fix this. Look to his opinion. And suspend your revenge because God will not let anything slide. Not for me and not for you. How many believe, folks, he's got a promise for his people when the bottom falls out? He does. He does.